You're listening to the Empowered Parent Podcast with Ryan and Kayla North, hosted by Chris Turner, a One Big Happy Home production. This podcast equips parents to empower their children and build healthy relationships throughout the home in order to see lasting change and thrive as a family. It's for families of all kinds, especially those who are parenting kids through adoption, foster care, kinship care, or in the process. The Empowered Parent Podcast is a developmentally informed, trauma-sensitive, connected parenting resource. To learn more, visit OneBigHappyHome.com. Greetings, and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Parent Podcast. Joining me, as always, are Ryan and Kayla North. Hey, guys. Hey, Chris. Christopher. Ryan Fur. It says, Christopher, it says Christopher on your birth certificate. I, I, I'm aware, but uh, okay. it's, it's all, no one really calls me that. It's always fun to put it back on whoever calls me that. So. Are you saying I'm special? Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh, you're uh, in rare company. How about we say that instead? You're, you're something. <laughs> Sometimes he'll call me. He'll just be like, hey, North, and I'll go, hey, South. And he goes, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like... I don't know. I just wanted to say something opposite or strange. Or he'll say, hey, wifey. And I'll go, hey, husbandy. <laughs> that that makes more weird. sense. <laughs> well, we don't have anything else to call our guest other than her name because we don't know her that well as of yet. So welcome, Daniela, to the show. Thanks. I guess I shouldn't be offended that I don't get a special nickname or anything like that. We'll, we'll work right. on it. You know, something may present okay. itself as, as the episode progresses and, well, and our conversation goes. We may come up with something. i got to be honest with you. I think that uh, Ryan, Kayla, and Chris are kind of bland, but Daniela sounds like you're from somewhere where a little more interesting. So. <laughs> You don't need a nickname. Well, and, and yeah, with, that's true. the thing I was thinking, you know, with her last name, Coates, um, you know, my, one reason I'm wearing the High Point hat is uh, my oldest has a game tonight. Uh, they're in Kentucky, playing Eastern Kentucky University. And, you know, the hockey guys are, are real big on nicknames. And if they can't think of anything specific for you, a lot of times they'll, they'll take your name or part of your name and leave that a Y on the end of it or an ER. I found. Uh, so Coatsy <laughs> would be a great hockey nickname if Danielle played hockey. So. In fact, that is what my husband was called when he played sports in there high school. There you go. See? So, oh, yeah. Coatsy it is. Coatsy it is. <laughs> well, no, we can't call her Coatsy because that's the husband's nickname. We have to come up with but something oh. special for, for Danielle. <laughs> he's not <Fair>. here. <laughs> uh, that's too funny. All right. Let's talk about stuff. Yes. So we did. One reason we wanted to have Danielle on is she was one of the many people we met at the Replanted Conference. And Danielle kind of has a unique perspective on the whole foster care adoption world in that she kind of approaches, uh, I guess her expertise, shall we say, comes from the sibling uh, side of things. The, 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 the child who was born and raised in the home and you know, sees these children coming into the home and how they deal with that. And uh, I thought her talk was fantastic uh, there at the conference. And so we wanted to have her on to talk about that perspective in the sense of the holidays, since Christmas is rapidly approaching. And, uh, 
you know, family dynamics, anything that's going on in your family is magnified a thousandfold during holiday time. Uh, you know, yeah. there's extended family. Either you're going to see them or they're coming to see you. You know, there's lots of upheaval in the lives of our kids. And so, yeah, that's where I thought uh, we would take tonight. And uh, the first thing that came to mind was family traditions. So you guys have like specific family traditions that you do all the time at Christmas? Whatever, let, let's, let, let's get Coatsy go first. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, we, we did growing up, we definitely did. And even now we still do some of those same family traditions. Like when we go to my parents' house, like our kids will participate in a lot of the same traditions that we did growing up. So that is definitely big in our family, like these, those rhythms and rituals during the holidays. Um, and so that's definitely a key thing that we bring as well into you know, my family with my kids. A really important thing for all of us so um things like we um have like basically a charcuterie board on christmas eve which we did it before it was a fancy word you know charcuterie board right uh, it was just like a meat and cheese tray right <laughs> before it was a, a, a popular thing we were doing it <laughs> for people um, making we, roses out of their salami you were like <laughs> we're just putting it on a tray and eating it right right we do that and we watch like a movie before we open presents so like we have the, all of these little rhythms that we do i mean i could list a ton but um we're big on tradition how old were you when when your parents started fostering or when they brought in siblings for you officially i was 10 okay. but they started the process when i was seven okay. um so i remember pieces of that like i can remember the homesteading and I can remember kind of the beginning days too before kids came into our house. Whereas my brothers then if I was ten, my brothers were seven and four. Okay. So they I'm were a little like, younger. I know a lot of traditions kind of change. I mean everything changes in your family when we bring in kids who've experienced trauma. But when it comes to like holiday traditions, you know, I know we've had we had placements that, you know, we had taken the kids to, you know, drink hot chocolate while we were looking at Christmas lights and stuff and we were like, "Oh, we can't do that with this particular right. child or we will have hot chocolate all over the place and burns because, you know, I mean it just it wouldn't work well." And so it was how did you see like traditions changing when kids who'd experienced trauma started entering into your family? That was kind of my thought on that. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything specific that would have changed. My parents did their best to keep a lot of things the same, which oh, is really helpful for like normalcy and kind of that perspective. Right. Um, so that not everything in my world is also flipping upside down kind of at the same time. Um, but there's always adjustments, right? Like, you know, the, you need to be flexible. You need to know that this might not end up working out in the end. You know, we may not be able to follow through with all of this today, you know, those sorts of things. But I don't, I don't remember like, oh, this is a tradition we can't do anymore. And maybe it's because we didn't have a lot of challenging traditions. Maybe they were small, you know, and fam just little things that our family did. But I love that you say challenging traditions. Because I, I think that's <laughs> no, no, I think that's important, right? Because because when we look at traditions, so so traditions are complicated because doing this something the way we've always done it, just because we've always done it that way, mm. 
is not necessarily the best way to do things. But also, we have to do something new all the time because we can't always do things the way we've always done it. That's equally as unhealthy, just in the opposite direction. Because yeah, because traditions pass pass down. We pass down story. We pass down how people act. We so much of society is formed through through traditions. But what we had to do is is we had to evaluate. Um, really, gosh, there's a lot of traditions. You know, for for, for us as parents, uh, my folks live within about 15 minutes of our house. Kayla's about 25 minutes from our home. So all the grandparents uh, are are in town, and all the aunts and uncles, and the nieces and nephews, and and uh, and and all that stuff. And so trying to juggle all the traditions. And I remember at one point, and and so it was a little different for us because. The bio, we had one bio kiddo at the time and she was pretty young. So I don't think that would have been impact, impactful on her in the way that you're talking about because you were 10, right? But, but to be able to say to Kayla's parents and to my parents, hey guys, they're just some of the traditions we're just not going to be able to participate in. Um, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll give you one. My, my parents, they, when I, even when I was a kid, we had open presents at midnight. But we learned pretty quickly that trying to keep our kids up till midnight late very dysregulated kids by midnight and, and so, the next day was crazy too you yeah. know because they hadn't gotten enough sleep and yeah. it was like oh this is not going to work for well, us I, I remember when 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 we just asked my parents can we just do gifts at 10 right and then and then they're they're done by 11 or whatever and then we'd load up the car and go home um you know there's there are a lot of food traditions on kayla's side of the family you know and and we said look just some of those we can't participate in because we can't make three stops in 24 hours at your at your parents' house to have the multiplicities of, of Christmas food traditions, and so that, that and those seem like small things to me now when I say them, because her folks and my folks are fine with them. But I remember the year we told them. I I remember the year we told them, and 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 they felt like, okay, can I try that again? Because I'm not going to try to pretend that I know what people feel like their responses appeared as though they took it very personally that we wanted to wanted to to cut some of the traditions did you have any and so this is kind of my, my follow-up to that because you are unique out of out of all of us um in that the four of us have in common that we have foster and adopted kids but you're the only one who was raised in a family with foster siblings and so did you feel like if, when the family changed anything, I know you said they didn't change much because you didn't have problematic traditions, I think is what you said. But if things did change in the family, do you remember feeling resentment as a child or, or how, how was that? Um, sometimes, yes. For sure. I'm not going to pretend like I only felt emotions that we like. <laughs> um, so yeah, sometimes, sure. Um, I definitely know that there were seasons. Now, around the holidays specifically, I don't know if if that would have been the time I felt that. But yes, I mean, there would be times where I felt that resentment. Overall, one of my siblings has a harder time with change than I do, though. And so they're the one who even to this day, um, I will say about holidays or traditions, hey, we don't have to do that anymore. It's not a big deal. Let's do something else. And the response is always, well, we have to check with this sibling first. Yeah. And so there's other siblings of mine, I think, that would probably answer differently mm. than I would, you know, about mm -hmm. it. Now, I love traditions and I love rituals and I think they're really important, right? Like you were saying, like they, 
they kind of tell a story about families and about people and about groups and those kinds of things. So I do think they're important rhythms. Um, but I, I think I know which ones I feel like I need to hold on to and which ones I'm okay letting go of, you know, so it's kind of that balance there. Yeah. It's and funny. I think, I'm sorry, oh. go ahead. I was going to take that in a complete different direction. So I'll, I will cede the mic. <laughs> well, I was just thinking like, you know, there were some traditions that we had to pause for a year or we had to pause for mm-hmm. a couple of years and then we were able to come back to them or we were able to start them over again. Little things, you know, um, like sitting and reading Christmas books all together, like was like something I just thought was like, you had to do it. I would buy a new Christmas book every year. And I thought we're going to sit and we're going to read these every day in December. We're going to read these little Christmas stories together. And then I found myself yelling at the kids because they needed to sit still and listen to the Christmas story. <laughs> and I was like, well, we had to do the Advent readings. And before we lit the second, oh, the Advent candle, we, we'd lost track. Yes. Yes. And it was just like, oh my gosh, why am I holding on and clinging to these that clearly my kids are not ready yeah. for, you know? it And it wasn't that we could never do them again. I mean, my kids could sit and listen. They'd probably, as most of them are teenagers now, and they would probably sit and listen to me read Christmas stories now. Um, but we've been able to do that more over the last probably five or six yeah. years that we couldn't do in the previous years because they were either too young, too dysregulated. It was just, it was too much. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think about some of those that I'm like, okay, it doesn't always have to be forever. We're never going to do this again. Um, And I think like with the whole staying up till midnight, like we've gotten closer to midnight with his side of the family. Now that our kids are all older for a while there, I think we even opened presents at like seven or eight and nobody really they didn't really like that because they were like, oh, that's not what we're supposed to do. But we were the only ones that had kids that really couldn't stay up and, and do it. Yeah. We couldn't handle it. We were like, I'm sorry, we just can't. Um, well, so I, it's interesting, though, because I see like a lot of traditions that we had that we're able to add back over the years. Yeah. You know? That's a good the, point. So, so one think- of the traditions we had to remove was any of them re- remind, remo- having uh, unmitigated access to candy. That, that was a big yes. tradition in Kayla. Her mom has this little M&M machine. You press a button and it spits out like 10 M&Ms at you. Did we go oh through a pack gosh. of M&Ms in an evening? And so the M&M guy has been in a box for like five years now. And I, did he make a reappearance this Christmas? He, he actually made a reappearance last Christmas, but he gets M&Ms when like I can dole out a few and then they're gone within like five minutes. Like everybody goes and pushes the button, gets their little handful of M&Ms and then they're done. I don't keep it stocked like my mom used to because, you know, my mom would keep it stocked for us. And even when some of the kids could handle it, they would go and they, and she still does at her house, but they're not there all the time. So it's not that big a deal when they go over, she's got it. She's got it full of M&Ms. But I remember like as a kid, it was like, Oh fun. I can push the little button and it would like come out and, and I would just do it a couple times a day or whatever. But uh, some of our kids would just literally probably, I think one of ours actually did put his mouth on (laughs) the bottom of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like have the M&Ms go I'd, directly into his mouth. And I'd I was like to like, verify that you don't have to think. I saw it with me own Okay. Arms. I was like, I don't remember if I'm thinking that in my head and that didn't, I just, I knew he would, but. I, I can tell you um, who afterwards if you'd like to know. I know who it is. Yeah, of course you know who it is. Okay, but what can you say? Yeah, Danielle, you were trying to say something before. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. Uh, I was just thinking with, with all of, with any changes, 
that come. I think what's really important is communicating that if, you know, Kayla, it is that it's going to go away for a year or this year. Hey, we just really can't do it this year. Communicating that it's not a, a forever thing. Cause I think that's where some of that resentment can come is like, mm-hmm. what these kids have come, they've ruined our mm-hmm. Christmas. They, you know, that can sometimes be the way that birth kids or, or, you know, those adoptive siblings view that just because it's how they perceive the situation. And so sure. if we're not communicating things like, Hey, we just, for this year, it's just probably something we're going to not do, but let's see if we can do it next year. Or is there a way to preserve it just for that particular sibling that really likes that tradition? Is there a way to, whatever the tradition is, is there a way for them to participate in it? If everybody can't, you know, so finding those ways to meet the needs of each kid, whatever Mm -hmm. that might look like and communicating that, I think that makes a world of difference. Research shows that the giving that communication piece is it, it makes all the difference. Well, I like what you said there. Like we think a lot of times in terms of meeting the needs of our kids who've experienced trauma, but it's just as important that we're seeing the needs in the situation of all of our kids. And so while it may seem like, you know, I, I've seen people be like, oh, they're just being selfish. Why don't they understand that these kids don't understand and can't do blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But the reality is they're just kids, yeah. all of them, you know, whether they were born to us or whether they came to us through foster care or adoption, they're kids. And so if we recognize that it's not them being selfish and, you know, choosing to not see it from the perspective of the kids in the home, but it's them expressing their disappointment mm. that something has right. changed. And right. if we can acknowledge that feeling and say, I I know it's super disappointing that we're not going to get to all go out in our pajamas and look at Christmas lights. But you know what? I think you and daddy are just going to go look at Christmas lights on Sunday night after everybody else is in bed, because I know that's something you really like. Mm. And so we can still meet the needs of that particular kid, which is doing something that seems like it's, it's a part of Christmas. Like, you know, whereas there might be other kids that it didn't even bother them, you know, that that tradition went away. So I think if we view it as a need that our kids have um, to have that consistency and that, I think that can help. I like the way you said that. I I think, I think one of the things you have to evaluate though is sometimes we cling to traditions and say it's for the children but we cling to traditions for ourselves. Yeah. Oh, for and, sure. And so, you know, and so, you know, Kayla's famous question is, why does that bother me so much? Mm. And I think all derivatives of that question it, are, are worthwhile being asked. Why is this so important to me? Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I, that I make a point of telling folks who are getting licensed to, to become foster parents for the first time so you have to really, really avoid the temptation to try to recreate your childhood in this child's life. Yeah. Because, because um, you're different people mm. with different experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's also 25 years after your childhood. <laughs> it's a different world. Yeah. Right. For sure. So how many of you, as far as traditions go, was going to see certain relatives for Christmas, part of the tradition. Oh yeah, that was yeah, us. Okay. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for, for or relatives coming to us. It was always one or the other. Either right. they were coming to us, or we were going to them. Well, you know, grandparents. With, with me growing up, I had one set of grandparents that lived in the same city as us. They were nine miles away from us, and then my other set mm-hmm. of grandparents were in another state, and so we did not get to see both sets of grandparents necessarily every single year. And so one of the things that my parents established early on was they would switch years, which which mm. family we were going to spend. Which extended family we were going to spend Christmas Day with? We would still have Christmas with, the, with with both sets of extended family. It would just depend on when. And so, with that kind of tradition of relatives coming to you, or you going to see relatives, one thing I think we have to deal with as foster and adoptive parents is what happens when relatives are showing favoritism towards certain members of our family. So Daniela, in, in your experience growing up with foster siblings, did, did you witness that? I mean, I would say, yeah, I did. Um, and maybe not always in ways that anyone would pick up on Mm. like micro things, right? Like sometimes they were really small. I would say actually all of the time they were really small. Mm -hmm. Um, and even as a parent, sometimes, that happens with my own kids, both my adopted and my birth kids, where there's this little bit, and I don't mean like our relatives who are like really involved and close to us, but just kind of the the extended family mm-hmm. where there's this little bit of favoritism there that kind of creeps up and creeps in. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've experienced that as a parent and as a birth kid Interesting. Um, in the family. So, so I, I was thinking while you were talking, because there's, there's two... Um, I think there's two parts to that. Number one, um, the one that where it's very, very obvious, right? Um, where all the um, the bio grandkids get four gifts from granny and grandpa, but all the foster kids get one gift from granny and grandpa. And mm-hmm. it's sort of a, eh, just thought about it this afternoon kind of a thing. So there's that. But sometimes there's not that. And sometimes I think that we were really sensitive to that like we went into Christmas assuming that that was going to be the case. And, and I think that, that some of that now did the first thing happen? Yeah. Do, do, do grandparents like some of their grandkids more than they like others? Yeah. <laughs> do I remember the one time my son opened a gift, looked at it, dropped it on the floor and stomped on it at my in-laws house? Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, there's just a lot of complicated things around presents because I, I promise you um, that that there is no way that your parents have for, forgot that either, right? Because that now has to yeah. – if, if there are any version of human beings, and I've met them. Chris, you've met them. They're people, right? They're people. Um, yep. They're people. If they're, if they're people, then, 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 they're, then they're, their experiences create filters, and now – Next Christmas, when we're buying gift for said child, you know, we're really going to buy him something as nice as that radio-controlled car that he had for three seconds before he stomped on it. So that happened. Right. But what happens for us is we notice the discrepancy in the gift giving now, and we label her parents as playing favorites. Mm. However, the right. reality is is that my in-laws are just playing people. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. I think that you know, I think we have to be cautious as as parents that we don't see things that aren't there like every mm-hmm. single time i get to speak to parents i always tell them look there are a lot of developmentally appropriate things that children do 
The fact that your child does not listen to you the first time is not a trauma response. It's just because he's seven. Because I think, because I think, because I think we're, you know, it's, we're in the 1950s now and we're looking for a communist under every rock. And if you do, you'll find one, right? And I think we do that yeah. a lot with our kids' behaviors, with our extended family's responses. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there and see if we could have a little bit of a conversation about that. Well, what you said, Ryan, kind of ties back to something I thought about when Danielle was talking about. I, I'm really interested in, the, in these micro-favoritisms. Like, could you give a, like, an example? I mean, you don't have to name names or anything. We're not, we're not you know, outing anyone here. Just, Tell us something your mom did. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> no, we're not going to call out mom on the carpet here. But, you know, just like something, because I'm just kind of wondering... Because when I think of the favoritism thing, I think what Ryan was talking about with, you know, the, the big things that you would, the noticeable things, right? So what's like maybe a, something that, let's say I, you know, my family came over to your your house for Christmas and you and someone in your family is doing the micro favoritism thing and you pick up on it, but I, I would because I don't, you know, know anybody there. Like, give me an example of, of something that might happen like that. Um, it would be like a family member sitting down and, you know, we're eating Christmas cookies and we were like, oh, I haven't seen you guys in a year. Um, how are your birth kids? How are they doing? What's it like for them? And then they don't ask any questions about my adopted kids. Okay. Mm. That would be an example of what okay. I mean by like a micro where like they're not doing something to intentionally slight mm. my, my other children, um, but they are othering them in their lack of questions and kind of care and interest in them. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what I feel like is probably the most common is just this kind of disinterest. They're just not as interested in, in them. That's really good. Is, yeah. Cause I hadn't really thought about that, but you know, there might be the occasion when you notice that the bio grandkids get invited over to bake cookies with grandma more often than the adopted kids are. Mm. Right, that that that's an example. Um, I think along the lines of, of what you were saying, there just seems to be a little less interest in the kids and a little less interest in connecting with them. Now, I will tell you this: I, I'm I'm going to give the grandparents an out here, or any form of extended family. When we tell them, "Look, we're going to need you to be foster grandparents," I think that's extremely complicated for people. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think that's really complicated. Now, my bride over there. Um, She's wanted to be a mother ever since the first time she laid eyes on her own mother, right? I mean, <laughs> in, in my experience, like Kayla just loves kids, wanted to be a mom, loves being a mom. And, and so, you know, but I think when your kids are getting older, you know, you know, I don't know if you did as well, but Kayla tells me she's one of those girls who planned her wedding when she was a little girl. Um, yep. I think that to some degree, our parents, particularly the moms, so thinking of being grandmothers when their children get to you know college age and especially get married and stuff, and so one of the things that that we had to do that that had to dial down some of our bitterness towards our parents at the holiday time was to realize they didn't ask to become grandparents the way we made them become grandparents. Mm, yeah, and and you know it's hard it's hard for them because because it's like. While, while Kayla and I can say, we got to go all in on this kid for as long as the kid's in our family, they say, we can't go all in on this kid because we don't know how long he's going to be in the mm -hmm. family. It took us a long time to come to that conclusion. And I mean years and years and years. It wasn't like, oh, year two, we get it. No, it took us a long time to do it. But I'll tell you that when we got that, 
certainly our response to them changed, but also the way we saw their actions changed. Mm. Because we weren't now filtering everything they did through this, through this, they don't like the foster kids, but had more empathy towards them, understanding that this is likely a difficult experience for them for a multiplicity of reasons. This is another one of those things that goes back to expectations, right? Both, mm. both conscious and unconscious expect, or I guess subconscious expectations, because, like you said, Ryan, I think we all have certain expectations as a parent uh, of how how we're going to parent and yep. then expectations meet reality and you were disabused of that notion. And then, right. and then there's, there are also times when you know, the rubber meets the road in parenting and you realize you had subconscious expectations of, you know, child's behavior or how you were going to re- react to a child's behavior, th- those situations. And all of a sudden, that explains your reactions to your child's behavior. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I totally see that working for the grandparents as well. What you said there at the very, the very beginning um, really resonated with me. Not so much because we, I guess we made our parents, grandparents, you know, the old fashioned way, you know, our, our first child in our family, you know, was a birth, you know, a birth child. It wasn't a foster or an adoptive child. Whereas you guys had the exact opposite um, mm-hmm. experience. And so, yeah, that, that, that was really good. Oh, thank you. And I think Ryan, it, it goes back to what you were saying too, about like, if we go back even to the traditions conversation and the humanist conversation, mm. like even when you use the, the cookie decorating example, um, maybe the grandparents are like overwhelmed, right? Because it's one of those challenging traditions yeah. <laughs> that is right. That, that needs to go away for a season, but they don't know how to do that. So they're coping with it is to, remove what they think is the challenging mm, piece of that tradition. Good. So I think that that, like you said, though, is there's a humanness to that too, right? And if we understand that, we can have grace, but then how can we help them understand that there's different ways that we can cope with that than just choosing one child over another or whatnot. That, that's, well, that's really good. I, I, I'm not going to speak long, but I just want to say that's really good because what you just suggested is we need to be collaborative with our family and friends mm-hmm. in the interest of our children. Yeah, it's because it's, it's all about educating them. I remember my mom saying to me one time, she said, you sat through all these classes and you're constantly learning about parenting kids who've experienced trauma. And she said, we don't have that same luxury. Mm-hmm. Like they did go through some classes um, early on so that they could become respite providers for us, right? Both of our moms went through those classes. But I think they were looking at it more from a perspective of how to keep this baby alive when they went through it, right? Yeah. Like what are the rules and regulations? Because we had a baby. Yeah. But then when we started bringing home toddlers and preschoolers, they were like, oh, this kid's climbing the inside of my refrigerator to get the jar of pickles off the top shelf, right? Like, I don't know how to deal with that. So I just won't invite him over because that's overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like all these little challenging behaviors that started happening. And so they were going with what they knew and it wasn't working because we all know that the same form of discipline that you might use with a biological kid is not going to work with these kids that have experienced trauma. And so unless we educate our families and say, Hey, you know, what works really well to calm him whenever he's feeling kind of anxious or he's starting to, you know, 
climb the walls is, you know, something with deep pressure. We've learned that he really does well if you have him do like crab crawls across the floor, that'll help kind of calm him down. And so we can kind of give them some points so that they don't feel overwhelmed and will still include because I've, I think you're right that it might be that they feel overwhelmed and instead of trying to kind of compromise on what it is, they just exclude the challenge and that's noticed. I mean, the kids notice it even if the grandparents aren't or the aunts and uncles, you know, I mean, we we find that, you know, like we'll have people that will invite certain children over and then certain children won't get invited over. And it's because it's overwhelming. And I mean, we know better than anybody how overwhelming some of those behaviors can be because we live with it every day. But we've got the education and the know-how. And so if we just educate and help or step in and say, hey, you know what? I think the process of baking and decorating cookies Mm. is going to be too much for my kids. But you could have them already pre-baked so that all they have to do is is decorate when they get there. And that'll probably go really well. Um, or we can say, hey, I know, I mean, it's going to be messy and there's going to eat a lot of the toppings, you know, like, but we could say like, hey, you know, like I've seen my parents, uh, my mom loves to decorate gingerbread houses. And she had this whole grand idea of like having all the grandkids come over and like decorate these gingerbread houses and make this whole gingerbread village that would be her like, centerpiece for her big dining room table right and after a while you know she to her credit accommodated because she realized the boys were not really interested in doing anything but eating the toppings the girls were like intricately designing theirs you know for the most part and so she got little lego like christmas lego sets and the boys put together christmas lego sets that became part of the the decoration on the table well done, Grandma. and and she had a bowl of candy for them to eat while they were doing it right like <laughs> here's some candy you can eat while you put together your lego set and i think that's a that's an ex- example of just kind of accommodating okay i see this isn't going the way it used to mm. i mean because at one point they may have liked doing that but at some point they outgrew it or they couldn't sit still for it or it just wasn't any fun for them anymore And instead of just excluding them and saying, you're not invited to come over because you can't seem to keep all the decorations on the table and they all end up in your mouth or whatever, just kind of changing it up a little bit and going with them. And that doesn't always happen naturally. It sometimes has to be like us suggesting like, hey, they really like coming to your house, but maybe we can change something or, or could I come over and help you? I know you like to do this by yourself, but maybe if there's two of us, we can help the kids do this a little better, you know? Well, I, I think we keep coming back to the tradition discussion, right? Because the gingerbread mm-hmm. house is a traditional thing. Likely your mom's been doing that since she was a kid. Probably yeah. has great memories of doing it with her granny. Um or if a granny was a mean person, has not great memories. I don't know. I've never met your mom's granny. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, I have to ask her now because I don't think I've ever asked her if she did that when she was a kid or not. I or would it was assume just so, or with her mom Maybe. or something, right? And so the thing with traditions, why they're hard, is because um, we don't like change. Now, even those of us who, who appear to be okay with change – we typically okay with change that we're we've initiated. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like I will declare myself a pretty go with the flow guy until I need to go with somebody else's flow, <laughs> and then I got questions. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> You're all laughing because it's like, he just described me. Uh, so, well, or we just know you really well, too. I'm going to go with <laughs> both. <laughs> um, and, and so... But, but but there's this idea that in, for you to give up something that you hold dear, and I think we can all agree that we hold traditions dear, mm. you now have to either consciously reject something that you've now come to believe is part of your identity, these traditions, or you have to consciously sacrifice something that's part of your identity through the form of tradition. And both of those things are really, really hard for human beings. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I will tell you that, that 20 years ago, 15 years ago, Kayla and I were pretty angry about about these things that we're talking about. But now I'm like, listen, on, on the best day, you know, the, the the thing about this year is that my parents and her parents are all a year older than they were last year. Mm-hmm. And even with, with our six kids, and even though, you know, we got the twenty one year old very rarely does um a lot of a lot of these things anymore. Uh, partly because because my parents and Kayla's parents her mom, my dad, to be more specific, were really firm, held the line firmly that every single family tradition we had to participate in. Mm. And I remember how that made me feel. I didn't like it. So as a result of that, we've almost swung the pendulum the other way and said, you can participate if you want to or not. We're putting the tree up tonight. We'd love for you to be here. We'll have our chocolate. But if you're not, there's, there's no grudge here because we understand that this might not be the most important thing in the world for you. Yeah. And so when we put the tree up the other night, our uh, our oldest wasn't at home. He'd gone to his friend's house or to my parents. Uh, he assembled it for us. He's like, peace he out. out. <laughs> He's like, I don't like decorating. I don't like putting uh, anything on there. So anyhow, um, so I think that we have to just be aware that that to do things differently is really hard because subconsciously, we're, we're rejecting ourselves. It's right. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Mm-hmm. And now the Lord has thrown up the largest objection to being his disciple <laughs> is to mm-hmm. deny yourself. So those are my thoughts late on this Friday evening on traditions. <laughs> well, to wrap up this episode, I thought there's one more thing that's, really important for us to talk about. And I really wanted to get Daniela's perspective on this again, because of amongst the four of us, her unique situation having been a sibling of foster kids. We all know as foster and adoptive parents, the holidays can be hard for our kids. You know, the, the sense of loss of first family is, mm-hmm. is there. If they had traditions with first family, if they were old enough to remember. And then those traditions mm-hmm. aren't happening with, you know, foster or adoptive family, holidays are hard for our kids. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So, Daniela, in your experience growing up, did your parents, granted, uh, you know, they likely didn't have the amount of information and the training that we have all, you know, been blessed to be a part of or have access to, but did you encounter any experiences where, that hardness for your foster siblings really came to the fore and maybe like we, we discussed earlier, certain traditions that we put on hold or things were just done differently that this particular Christmas than before. Yeah. I don't have like a year specific mm-hmm. that I can remember, but I can remember generally that we would 
continue a lot of things. We being like me and my younger brothers, we would continue a lot of traditions, but maybe just with my dad. Mm. And if they were too challenging for the kiddos that were living with us, then my mom would like stay home with them or something like that. And so mm. I think that's often how our family kind of divided and conquered mm. when it came to those types of situations. But then that did mean a lot of times my mom wasn't participating. And so we felt that loss too. And of course, also feeling bad that she couldn't participate. And she was never moaning and groaning about it. My mom's very she's wonderful i love her and she's very sacrificial and so she was she was always happy to do that but it was a loss mm. even for that so that's that's really how our family juggled it for the most part growing up mm. yeah and that can be hard because you know it would be worse if if the kiddo who was melting down was there and kind of uh, you know just just struggling through it all and nobody would be enjoying anything. Right. And so, you know, I mean, like we know one of our kids, we don't take her to the movie theater because she does not do well in the movie theater. Mm -hmm. And if we tried to say like, Oh, we have to do this as a family, like our whole family is going to go watch a movie together. It would just be miserable for everybody. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Right. And so, but it's hard when you're like, Oh, it'd be so nice if mom was here. I wish mom didn't have yeah. to miss out on that, you know? And, and so I think, that's kind of the sacrifice sometimes families do end up making, though. I think that's common. Yeah. And to be fair, it's not even always behavioral. Sometimes it was just because I'm, you know, 13 and my brothers are 10 and 7 or, you know, just took some ages. And right. the kiddos that are currently living with us are 1 and 2. So they don't have any interest in right. doing X, Y, and Z holidays. So it's, it's yeah. not even always behavioral or, mm -hmm. or sensory or things like that. Sometimes it's just age. Just straight up yeah, and age developmental, yeah. Yeah, and that's that can be in in a, any family, right. whether there's yeah. foster care or adoption involved or not. And so some of these challenges aren't necessarily unique to families who yeah. have birth kids and fostered kids or adopted kids. But yeah, true. Um, yeah. True, true. What, what What's that, um, that verse when Jesus is born? Peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Right, the angel says that. You, you, you think I remember having... <laughs> Read that story forty times. Um, <laughs> right, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. For unto us a savior is born in Bethlehem. Right, and so um, I think that you know if you really want to embrace the true spirit of Christmas and the true meaning of Christmas, it's not about who gets the biggest presents. It's not who does the most mm -hmm. things together. But if you really want to embrace the spirit of Christmas, it is about peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And and so while I cannot make peace on earth. Um, because it's a very complicated place, this earth. I can do my best to make peace on at home. Yeah, yeah. And I and I think that if we we each of us try try to just make peace in our families and uh, in in our homes, and and then just just try to have some goodwill. Um, this Christmas is particularly for folks listening to this who it's early on in their journey. It might be Christmas number one. It might be Christmas number two or something like that with adopted kiddos, with foster kiddos in the home. Um, but just stuff's going to hurt your feelings. Mm -hmm. But but just because it hurt your feelings doesn't necessarily mean that it was hurtful, right? Yeah. Because because we assign intent to people's actions. And I promise you um, that that Christmas that the foster kids got one kid and the bio guarantee gift and the bio grandkids got three gifts was not because my parents are mean people mm. right i think you know my my all of my daughters would with the 11 year old would still sit in my dad's lap if if she could you know 
um, it's not because because they're unkind people. It's just kind of how they process that moment, and we didn't give them any input into that moment either. Mm. But I know families who've broken relationship with their parents because of the way that they handled gifts. Mm-hmm. Like like this guy, sort of between sadly and proudly, told me, "I told my dad until you spend the same amount of money on the foster kids as the bio kids, we're not coming around on Christmas." And that made me sad. Mm. And I know mm-hmm. he wanted our support, but it made me sad because because you're modeling something really bad for your kids. Yeah. Yeah. You're modeling something really bad for your kids, and that is when people don't act the way that you want them to act, you're done with them. Mm-hmm. Well, now they're going to think, mm, I wonder if he'll be done with me. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. they're going to learn that the response to people who don't comply with your wishes is just to be done with them. Yeah. So I think we have to put all of that aside. We have to take some deep breaths. We have to know that Christmas is going to be difficult. It's amplified by the way we chose to build our families. And we just have to go in with eyes wide open and realize that there might be some behaviors you're seeing because Christmas might remind you of a 12-year-old son that he didn't get to see his granny this year mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And that's tough for him. Yeah. And no amount of candy and gifts is going to make up for that. Right. And we have to honor that and, and respond with kindness to it. But we also have a responsibility to let everybody that that child will see at Christmas let them know that that might be the case this Christmas. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, yeah. It, this is something we, we talk about a lot uh, throughout all of our episodes. I think it's something doubly so at holiday time, and that is be flexible. Mm-hmm. You, you just got to be flexible and roll with those punches because especially like you were saying, Ryan, if you're early on in your journey, you may not even know how you're your foster or our newly adopted kids are going to react in these situations mm-hmm. and, you know, be, be your kid's detective, you know, be, be the one that knows as much about them as you possibly can, can gather so that you can be flexible in those moments. And. Well, okay. Don't know where I was going from there, but. And Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and flexible, but also proactive, right? So if you notice things that your kids are struggling with, like if you notice that, you know, that food is a big issue for your kids, then you can make sure that you're proactive and having foods available that you know, your kids are going to eat and that they like, like, it's not the time to be like, hey, you have to try all these brand new foods that you've never seen and never heard of before, right? You're doing a bad thing right now. What? Because we are out of time and you are starting another <laughs> conversation. No, I just think like, ah, you've got to be proactive. If you see those those hot spots for your kids, don't make now the time to to like holidays be the battle. They already have so yeah. much wow. going on. What if you know your kid has some sensory issues with food, like doesn't like warm, mushy food? Mm-hmm. But grandma thinks that part of every Christmas and Thanksgiving meal is mashed potatoes. And when you don't want mashed potatoes, um, you're informed that you're not a, you're, you're a naughty boy and your parents <laughs> are told that your kid needs to learn how to eat properly. Let's just say that hypothetical has ever happened in my brain. <laughs> we ain't got time to unpack it. We ain't got time to unpack it. Well, I th- and I think the, that's where the proactive comes in because then you call granny and you say, hey, just so just you know, I have a kiddo yeah. who is not going to eat mashed potatoes. And I know that's a huge part of your de- your your meal, but I promise you he's not trying to be rude. He just doesn't really, the texture of it's really weird for him. And so I'm going to just let you know right now up front that, you know, he's not going to eat that. Or 
it, it may not make any difference in the whole world. You know, my grandmother, I love her dearly and she wants to make cookies that Ryan can eat. And I've told her like, cause he doesn't eat a lot of sugar. And so she wants to sweeten them with Splenda, which he will not eat. And so she's like, what are his favorite cookies? I'm going to make some with Splenda that he can eat. And she's probably asked me this 20 times. And every time I tell her the same thing, I'm like, he's not going to eat it. He's, he really, he doesn't like that. And so I'll just say like, it's okay. Like he's going to just eat more turkey. He's just going to eat more ham, you know, like it's he'll okay. Find something. So, he's not going to starve. He'll find something. He's not going to starve. I promise. You don't have to make anything special for him, but do you know, she's going to. Do people talk about you like this, Danielle? <laughs> While you're watching, plan your life, tell you what you're allowed to eat, what you may not eat. Tell you how much ham you're allowed to have. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, goodness. Blended cookies. That does not sound good. Yeah, no, they don't taste very good either. Like, I just don't like artificial sweetener in my cookies. Like, if I'm going to eat cookies, give me the full sugar. Lots I want of all butter. of my calories. <laughs> all of it. I, I want, want all calories, of it. The carbohydrates, uh, the, the, the fat, fats, all of it. Yes. All right. Of it. Exactly. It's all natural. And all natural is better for you. That's right. Chris, I really thought as you, when you tried to tie a bow in this thing three minutes ago and you kind I'm of paused. I'm sorry. No, well, he kind of paused me. and he said, I don't know what I was going to say. I really had really had convinced myself that you were going to end with, and God bless us, everyone. <laughs> you were tiny Tim or something. No, you, no. you, you see, because of your accent, Ryan, you, you're able to pull that off a little bit better. So I'll let you. Not, I don't sound like that. God bless <laughs> us, everyone. You, you just did. Yeah, it's But I don't sound like that all the time. Oh, well. Is that how we're going to end it? I think we should totally end it that way. Do you have a tuppence, governor? The way we're going to end it is by thanking Daniela for being on the show. That's a good idea. Thanks for putting up with us. But I, for one, really appreciate you you bringing your unique perspective. And I know Ryan and Kayla do as well. So thanks so much for being on, Daniela. Yes. Thank you. Thanks. Happy to be here. Bye, Daniela. And for all you patrons, you can hang out for our green room episode. And if you're not a patron, well, then you're going to miss out on Chris explaining his new family tradition of Yokobakaflod. So until next time. Oh, I can't wait. To Merry hear. Christmas. And Happy New Year. <laughs> and thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Empowered Parent Podcast. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss in the podcast, you can email us at podcast.onebighappyhome.com. Please like and share the podcast with your friends and family, and you can find us on your favorite social platforms by searching for One Big Happy Home. Thanks for listening.